Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us on the big program. We have a lot of guests with us. Big stars, David Aiken, that uh, giant egghead uh, part of, well, egghead, that sounds, that sounds pejorative. He has his mind full of facts, and he's going to join us to talk about what happened in Alberta. And Jason Kenny is here. Uh, Jason, uh, congratulations. Help is on the way. Thank you. I'm hoping that that will be help for this program. Also with us again, uh, as he is most uh, often for the noon hour, is the star of the Toronto Raptors. 37 points last night. Man, what a win. What a commanding performance by Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi, uh, how did you get it done? What, what, did you, what did you focus on? I'm a fun guy. That's good. Thank you. Thank you, Kawhi, for being with us. But let's begin with Alberta. The UCP, formed just two years ago by a merger of the Progressive, Conservative, and Wild Rose parties, held on to Calgary seats and then took back all of those breakthrough NDP wins that uh, the NDP took back in 2015. The number 63 of 87 seats leading or elected as of Tuesday night. The NDP only 24. Some of those apparently still need to be checked out, better recounts. A couple of them are razor thin. I want to take you to Queen's Park now, and in a question, in a response to a question from the NDP about potential cuts to education, Doug Ford took the opportunity to say this. I'll tell you what strengthens our education system, but even better strengthens our country, was the big win from our friend Jason Kennedy. Uh, everybody stands up and applaud. Yeah, here, here, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you cover provincial politics or ever have the opportunity to go down and see question period, this is what happens when when Doug's when the premier says anything. Like the train, I, the, all of the MPPs around him jump up and it is. Look, I'm sorry. I it, it is. It's a little embarrassing for them. I'm not, I'm, it's a little embarrassing. Here's a, something else I want to talk about because quickly on the same thing. Because um, oh wait, we want to do Doug Ford one more time. Listen, listen to Doug Ford have a little bit of a, a, a brain fart here. We see a blue, just a blue wave going across this and country from one. west to east. Yeah. No matter if it's Blaine Higgs out in New Brunswick, if it's uh, uh, Jason Kenny. Oh yeah, that guy, the guy who won last night, my BFF. Who was it again? Uh, that is Doug Ford in the house today. And then I want to take you now to Port Credit. Now, you, you've heard, of course, obviously, that uh, Ontario is largely leading the fight against this federal tax, this federal carbon tax. And I want to play for you something that Ontario's Solicitor General, we have a Solicitor General now. This is sort of didn't make news recently when uh, uh, Sylvia Jones was actually named to this position. But she and the Environment Minister were actually in front of an OPP detachment today. This is a police station, folks. And what they were saying is that the province estimates that the federal government's carbon tax will impact Ontario correctional facilities, OPP detachments, and just that alone is going to increase annual heating costs by $1.4 million by 2022. But the minister did not stop there. And I will leave this for you to assess whether or not you believe that this moves into the territory of fear-mongering. Funds that would typically go towards keeping your family safe here at the Port Credit OPP detachment and across Ontario will instead be sp spent paying for the carbon tax, which, as Minister Phillips points out, doesn't even protect the environment. Outrageous! 
Yes. I I just think that I mean okay, you we have a difference of opinion on carbon tax. But now we're going to play the, you know, your safety and the number of police officers that you can have. And that's precisely what the provincial government is doing. And I'm reading from their press release that they put out here. The $1.4 million in extra costs. This is just, uh, and remember, I was just saying on uh, heating and uh, fuel costs. The $1.4 million in extra costs is equivalent to the cost of 30 new cruisers for police forces or 43 drug testing devices. These costs would pay the wages of approximately 16 correctional officers for one year or provide more than 2,600 bulletproof vests to help officers do their job safely. Uh, thank you, uh, Premier. Now, you heard in the news about these ads that the progressive conservatives have now released, and and you heard Tina actually play it. Does anybody know... Are these things running in our ad slots? Because I don't actually hear the. So are you telling me that? Not yet. What? So you, t- they are running. Because I just I want to make sure that chorus is making a dollar off of this. We're making a buck. I haven't heard one, but yeah, sure. Because somebody's got to pay my salary. Let me tell you that much. So the ads, which you may have heard, feature a female narrator saying the tax will see people pay more to heat their home, drive their kids to school. And it also says the carbon tax will result in the average family paying $648 more a year by 2022. Guess what it doesn't mention? Anybody just want to just guess what this ad does not mention? It does not mention rebates. It doesn't mention rebates at all. And this is very similar to the stickers. You know, the stickers that they're talking about putting on every single gas pump in the province and then fining gas stations $10,000 a day if they don't comply. Also, those stickers, they do not mention rebates whatsoever. Alan, Alan, please stop crying. I'm not that upset about it, but it just raises some questions. And I want... This one made me laugh today. Oh, my goodness. I I know I'm a dork, but this made me laugh. So, obviously, you you just heard me talk about the fact that progressive conservatives are using taxpayer dollars for advertising that many consider to be partisan. Well, today, uh, NDP MPP Taras Natashek just kicked over the garbage can. Did you hear that? Did you hear me kick over the garbage can? All right. Radio. All the warts. Right here. Um, so it, it, back to the PMB. So this is a private member's bill. So what what the NDP is doing here, and I love this, is they are reintroducing a bill that the conservatives themselves wrote while in opposition. Now, a private member's bill, just for a little bit of context here, I got to get to David Aiken, he's standing by. But just for context here, a private member's bill is it is basically used to needle the government. But sometimes it's raised by, you know, government side MPPs. It can be brought forward by anybody. Very rarely do these make it into law. And often they're used for ways, you know, for the opposition to get some attention. And this has worked beautifully today because Therese, the, the MPP, uh, Teresa Natasha, says, okay, well, here, here, here's the bill that you actually, conservatives, wanted the liberals to pass. And now that you're in government, I'm going to reintroduce it, and why don't you just pass it? And he was asked this morning what he thinks the odds are of this actually happening. And listen, if you can, 
uh, to his tongue planted really firmly in his cheek. I'm, I'm optimistic that they'll support uh, this bill because it, again, was crafted by uh, Mrs. Jones as the uh, deputy leader of the Conservative Party at the time. And, uh, you know, I'm giving them an opportunity uh, to, uh, to have a second chance at this and to make it law. Yeah. Help is on the way. Thank you, Jason Kenney. David Aiken is the chief political correspondent for Global News. He knows more about politics than I've forgotten. I am running out of time, but uh, David Aiken is not on the line. This is the th- now. David Aiken is is standing me up. David Aiken is now swiped left on me. That's what's happened. But I, what I was going to say to David Aiken is, you could boil down what happened in Alberta to just to, to to this. You know, to, to a short form, because, you know, the kids these days, they like the acronyms. So here would be a headline for the uh, provincial election in Alberta. Uh, the AB Premier-elect and leader of the UCP is Dofo's BFF, which is trouble for JT. See how that goes? See how I put that together? Uh, the other thing that I was really interesting is that Rachel Notley, of course, the former Premier now, Uh, saying last night she intends to stay on as NDP leader. That, of course, might be difficult because I don't know the precise constitution of the Alberta NDP, but in provincial politics here in Ontario, for example, the Ontario NDP has a mandatory, a mandatory leadership review at the end of every election. So whether you win or lose it, you still have to face a leadership uh, and a, a review or at least a, a discussion about whether or not the members want a new leader. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Rachel Notley will have, to, will have to do that. Is David Aiken with us now? D- David, how you doing, Dave? Man? Yeah, are, are, are you all right? Hey, listen, I was ask, asking about uh, uh, Dofo's new BFF and whether or not you think JT <laughs> is sunk because of it. Uh, yeah, well, I think that is one of the big stories. And Kenny, by the way, Kenny gave a shout-out to Dofo last night in Alberta, in the big convention center, and there was a huge roar of approval for uh, Premier is Ford. on the way. That yeah, was part of what much. he said, yeah. Absolutely. And so you think of that block now, Kenny. Uh, Scott Moe in Saskatchewan, Brian Pallister in Manitoba, Doug Ford in Ontario, um, and Blaine Higgs out in New Brunswick. And on the stump, I've been out here for about a week, on the stump, Kenny's been basically saying, hey, we're going to do this block of conservative premiers is going to do everything it can to prevent Justin Trudeau's reelection this fall. Uh, and I know Ford is going to work towards that. So Scott Moe and now Jason Kenney, you know, Kenny in the West, Ford in the East. And Andrew Shear just might be the junior partner of these guys. I don't know if that's a bad or a good thing. I don't think Shear cares as long as he wins. But, uh, you know, we'll see how Shear positions himself, too. I, I want to play, if I, if I can get this one again, This is I love this one from the house today of Doug Ford actually forgetting Jason Kenney's name. After all of this, after all of this campaigning oh, no. together and this love-in, we'll see if we can get this back for you. Here. Uh, uh, that was <laughs> uh, David Aiken, we're out of time, David, but I really appreciate you being on with us. Thanks. That's uh, David no Aiken, uh, Chief Political Correspondent for Global News. Pretty nice day ahead today. I see a lot of cyclists commuting again, which is interesting. And coming up in our Rip and Read segment, a little bit later in the program, I have some new stats about electric bicycles in electric and how that's going to take overtake bicycles and all other modes of transportation. I'm just going to shuffle these papers a little more. Is this this annoying when I do this? It is annoying. It's annoying. Uh, Okay. So let's get to the uh, news, which we want to talk about right here, which is uh, Notre Dame. 
Uh, and of course, what has happened in the wake of it. And what I think is just absolutely fascinating and frustrating and terrifying is how quickly fake news spread all around the world. Alt-right supporters using the fire to spread xenophobic rhetoric on social media. Now, of course, the fire erupted on Monday. Uh, it's, uh, it was in the middle of this $6.8 million renovation, and officials are still investigating the reason behind the fire, but they've totally ruled out arson. You know, there, there have been photographs of showing two men standing near the scene of the uh, fire and, you know, saying, you know, well, they're, they're celebrating. And that is simply has not been, is not the truth, of course. And quickly this all cascaded from fringe message boards to social media and far-right websites, and then even on to cable news. This is BuzzFeed reporter, where did her name go? Well, I'll get her name, uh, Litvinenko. I'll get it. See, I'm working on this here. Here we go. Uh, Jane Litvinenko from BuzzFeed, and she wrote this fascinating piece. This has not been a smooth segment so far. She wrote this fascinating piece about how this all this fringe stuff and this hate propagated itself and spread right across the Internet. Somebody created a fake CNN account on Twitter and posted, you know, latest report uh, confirmed that this is terrorism. And it sort of just took off from there. Uh, and that is a reporter from BuzzFeed. And I'll tell you what happened then shortly after that. Uh, much of this was picked up by Infowars. There was this incorrect tweet that went out uh, from a Tennessee politician and a media commentator. And he posted this tweet saying that a friend has heard, had heard from staff at the cathedral that the fire was intentional. He deleted that tweet 10 minutes later. He realized it was, it was inaccurate. Gone in 10 minutes. But that was long enough. Because this tweet was seen by conspiracy theorist Paul Joseph Watson of InfoWars. And he used that incorrect deleted tweet as the sole basis for a story that was headlined, Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris is on fire. Worker claims it was deliberately started. InfoWars posting that story just after 2 p.m. As of yet, it has not issued any correction, clarification, or update. Then at that point, two more key anti-Muslim narratives began. At about 1 p.m., an account tweeted a video of Notre Dame burning with shouts of Alu Akbar edited over the video. It is fake. And the audio appears to have been taken from a recording that is the top Google search result when looking for audio of that phrase. Then between 2 and 3 p.m., this on the day of the fire, that is when anti-Muslim conspiracies and hateful posts began picking up steam on mainstream social networks and those fringe message boards by, you know, 4chan, that online messaging board, no, message board, which is essentially the Internet's cesspool, was filled with posts targeting Muslims. And some users also called for that misinformation to be spread. All of this, of course, raises a very difficult question about why it is that the giant uh, social media platforms cannot better police this and ensure that this sort of thing, this cancerous, hateful information, does not spread its way all around the world. I am pleased to welcome Gord Pennycock, who is an MIT scholar on fake news, to the program. Gord, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. 
Is there anything that can be done in terms of regulation of these social media giants? Well, <laughs> the the regulation part would be like kind of the easiest solution uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, they have control of the platforms and they can do any number of things, but um, it's not kind of in their business model. The, the, the problem is that uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, whatever, uh, WhatsApp, Instagram, they don't want to be the arbiters of truth, right? They don't want to be the ones that decide what's true and false. Um, but some things are so obvious that, you know, maybe it wouldn't be such a bad thing. Um, but they just don't want to get their kind of uh, the noses dirty and they kind of, you know, they want to make sure that they get the clicks as well. So that uh, that kind of drives a lot of what's going on. Is, isn't that really the truth, though, here? Because part of what fuels this so quickly is that the algorithm is designed to keep you on the site for longer. And the way that it does that is it reinforces the beliefs you already have. So it serves up to you information that you probably already are predisposed to like. And it should we not, as a society, say you should not be able to make money off that kind of thing? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult question because they, they provide some sort of service, but the service is just a platform. You know, the, the content that is on Facebook is created by users, uh, apart from the advertisements, which nobody likes anyways. Um, and so they, you know, it's kind of a necessary kind of exploitative, but, um, you know, what are you supposed to do? Like, you can't just, you know, force them out of business. People want to use it, and they have people go on Facebook, and we all, you know, uh, use social media. And so uh, we are as much to blame as the, as the companies in a certain sense. Okay, so then if the solution is not any kind of censorship, which I certainly don't advocate, and obviously you run into all kinds of difficulties, as you point out, like who, who decides then? Who is the arbiter of truth and not truth? Yeah. What, what kind of solution is there, or are we just heading to a dystopian future where truth just doesn't exist anymore? Well, there's no single solution, but one thing that I think, and this is what we've been kind of researching ourselves, is that it doesn't have to be uh, this way. The way that people use uh, social media doesn't have to be so, um, well, stupid, I guess, uh, would be one way to say it. That is, you know, people, I mean, we go on social media for entertainment. It's usually... You know, we go on Facebook and there's pictures of dogs and babies and stuff like that. Cats, uh, cats, dude. It's cats. It's always cats, cats on the yeah, internet. Yeah, and cats. Of course, the internet is all about cats. And so, you know, it's the, but the mindset that you're in when you're watching that is not the mindset that you need to be in if you're looking at the news. If you if you see some sort of claim that you know a Muslim started the fire, uh, that's something that you have to think about. Um, and that's not the way that people kind of engage with social media, which which you know, but they they can. Like, people have the capacity to stop and think about things, and this is what our research has shown, is that people, if you get them to do it, are actually pretty good at recognizing fake news if they think about it. The problem is that they're just not thinking about it very much. So that it's, it's a passive consumption of information. That's right, um, yeah. And, and that you may not even register that you've actually even seen it because as you're scrolling through looking for the next cat video, you know, there goes Notre Dame with a, you know, a woman in a hijab in front of it, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's you know, a cat, cat, you know, whatever. Yeah. Is that is that the issue? And so, if we if we're looking for a multi prong approach to it, is it just a question of teaching information literacy? Well, it's I wouldn't say just a function of that, but that is certainly one dimension. That is, people don't have. I mean, think about all the different things that came out uh, after the fire. Um, there there's a, a, a bunch of different elements. You know, you know. Uh, Twitter profiles that look at like they would be CNN, but you could easily identify that as not being CNN if you know what you're looking for. So that's media literacy, uh, but also being aware that um, when some big event happens, 
there's a bunch of people who have a strong motivation to get in there because there's lots of quicks to be had, uh, and they're not exactly doing it um, with all the facts in hand, obviously. And so just kind of being aware of, of how, how um, media works and uh, what is good and what is bad uh, media is, you know, one step. But, of course, if you're going to have those skills, you still have to think about them to use them. So you both need the media literacy skills and the critical thinking skills, which to me have to be you know, taught at a young age in schools uh, if we're going to deal with this uh, in the future. Gord Pennycock is an MIT scholar on fake news and joins me on the phone. Thank you so much for being with me. My pleasure. Thank you. Maybe that's fake news. Maybe that's fake news. Welcome back to the program. Good news, bad news sort of segment. Quickly, I am just going to mention to you that Canadian inflation accelerated uh, last month as uh, fresh strength in gas prices removed a large amount of downward pressure on the rate. That's according to a new StatsCan report. And I just quickly tell you this, year over year, Stats Canada said consumers paid 15.7% more in March for fresh vegetables. What? 15.7% more? Well, I'm cutting down my kale, I can tell you that much. Let's talk uh, about transit now. And as you heard yesterday, the city council in this fine city has voted 22 to 3 in favor of making King Street, the pilot project, the new reality on the city's busiest surface. Michael Ford, by the way, one of three councillors to vote against this. And I only raise that because obviously he's part of the Ford clan and the premier has shown a, well, a habit of wading into Toronto politics. It would be interesting what he has to say about this now permanent project on King Street. And to talk more about it, I am pleased to welcome Barbara Gray, who is General Manager of Transportation Services for the City of Toronto. Hello, Barbara. Hey, how are you? I am fantastic. So it's the real deal. King Street pilot, no longer pilot. I guess my question for you is... Where are you eyeing next? Oh, uh, well, we are looking at citywide um, the surface transit uh, routes in the city. There's an official plan that the city has that identifies a network of priority routes for surface transit. Um, And we're taking a look at that uh, in order to figure out how we can increase transit speed and reliability on some of these priority routes. They, they tend to be the routes that serve the big areas of the city where lots of people are commuting and want to get around, um, where we have... Uh, Would you consider volume. Queen Street? Is Queen Street on that list? Uh, yep, yeah, Queen Street's on that list. But I think it's important to recognize that the, the main thing that we learned from King Street, we created a toolkit of transit speed and reliability, pedestrian improvements, things that really helped all together to make King Street function uh, as well as it has. And so anywhere else that we went to improve transit speed and reliability on any of these routes would have its own toolkit. It would be probably borrowed from the experiences that we had on King. As you know, we did put in uh, a lot of elements in the pilot, and then we, we tracked and managed to see how they worked, and we tweaked them to try to get them to work as best they could. And so we learned a lot. We learned a lot about signal priority, about pedestrian crossing times, about the importance of a far side transit stop on the far side of the intersection. So we learned a lot of really operational details that made a huge difference. And we would want to look at, as, as a detailed look, um, at any of these corridors. And that would include community engagement, same way we did with King Street. So 
um, it's not likely that we're, uh, we're sure, certainly not going to pop up tomorrow somewhere new uh, and implement King Street elsewhere. We, we really have to take a look at what makes sense for that corridor, what makes sense for that neighborhood, and set some goals for how uh, we want to see the transit speed and reliability improve. Barbara Gray is General Manager of Transportation Services for Toronto. And uh, Barbara, a lot of the ears that are hearing our voices right now are in cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of them will be saying, are you kidding me? This city is absolutely unworkable. And you know, all this transit stuff is fantastic. But for any myriad of reasons, I cannot take transit. I am forced in my car. And mm-hmm. now you're going to make my life worse. Well, I mean, there's always going to be people who have to drive or who want to drive, and that's the, the goal is not to make life worse for them. The goal is to give people more choices and options so that they can use other modes. Uh, if I don't have to take my car to work and I walk or take transit, there's uh, there's space for other people who have to because some people have more complicated schedules uh, and they or they just live in a place where uh, it's, they're not well served by transit. But there's a lot of people who would like to take transit if they thought that they would have a more frequent or more reliable trip. Um, and there's a lot of other things that we're doing on, net- on the network uh, in Toronto to help make it more efficient to travel, regardless of the mode you choose. Uh, we're doing an upgrade of our congestion management plan this year, which has resulted in lots of corridor signal timing improvements to reduce travel delay. We're trying new signal technologies that allow us to adapt to the queues at each intersection so that we could try to move, especially when we have uh, unusual circumstances like an event or something letting out. We're we can have the signals be responsive to those those crowds. So it's not just about transit, but transit's a pretty critical piece of our mix here. And I also think that um, you know we're a very vibrant, economically vital city, uh, and congestion comes along with that. Barbara Gray, General Manager of Transportation Services for the City of Toronto. Thank you so much for joining me. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me on. It is 12.39. Really quickly, we want to delve into trying to get the truth of something you may have heard about, and that is whether or not there are teachers that are going to lose their jobs because of so-called cuts to education. You may have seen some of these reports today. There are a number of teachers, especially in the Peel region, who have been sort of offered up by the school board or perhaps made themselves available to say, listen, I'm a teacher and I've just been uh, notified that I am surplus, and to talk about what what in the world surplus means and try and get at some truth here because, man, is there a lot of rhetoric. Harvey Bischoff is president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, joins me on the line. Harvey, always great to have you on. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Okay, what is surplus? How does it work? And are teachers really losing their jobs? So surplus essentially is a layoff notice from the school that you teach at. Um, and, and the language is used a little bit differently in different boards. So what they say in Peel may not, you know, may not coincide exactly to what's said elsewhere. That's the fairly typical definition. It means unless there's a job found for you at another school, then the following, you know, then, then you can expect a, a layoff notice to follow. To be fair, this happens every year. It happened last year under Kathleen Wynne. So... It is not uncommon for there to be declarations of surplus. What we're seeing right now are are uh, to a completely in a completely different uh, league in terms of the number of declarations that are being made. But um, to call so, it, but but to call it, people losing their jobs. It, it, perhaps this is well. This is the premier. I want to play this from the house and have you listen to it. Premier saying that this is just politicizing it. It's playing politics. He blames you for it, and he says it's not true. You know how the system system works. The school boards are going to get their budget. They're going to be hiring back the teachers because not one single teacher will lose their job. Not one single teacher. 
Harvey, are you playing politics? So uh, we don't do surplus declarations. School boards do. So pointing the finger at me seems sort of beside the point. Um, what school boards are saying is that uh, their, their surplus declarations are way, way higher than they have been in the past. And additionally, what a number have been saying is they don't see any way that all of those teachers are going to be recalled, um, all of those ones that are laid off. So they're saying there will be real layoffs, um, real Workers will lose their jobs because of the government's uh, policy announcements. Um, and again, that's, you know, that's not us saying that. That's the school board employers. But, you know, there's a second part about this that, that uh, I think needs to, be, uh, needs to be mentioned as well, which is that the ministry made an announcement back on March the 15th um, about a policy that would result in one out of four teachers being taken out of uh, Ontario's high schools. They still haven't released the technical papers, the, the underlying numbers that would explain how this policy is going to work. So school boards are being left largely in the dark, doing the best they can to operate with insufficient information. If the ministry would just release those numbers, well, maybe we'd have some clarity about this. I wrote a letter to the minister again yesterday saying, please give us the technical details so we can understand what's actually happening. Um, a month after their announcement, that still hasn't come out. So uh, the premier can point the finger wherever he wants. The fact is, um, it's his government's announcement that's responsible for what's happening now. Harvey Bischoff is president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation and joined me on the line. Thank you so much for being with us, Harvey. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. But I'm really glad she's my teacher. I know it's not easy. It takes a lot of patience and care. Yeah, I'm really glad she's my teacher. Where would I be without her there? Do, 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 do. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a lot of special guests on the program. Uh, Jason Kenny has just won the Alberta election. Uh, when you listen to this program, Jason, your thoughts? Help is on the way. That is good because we need all the help we can get. Quickly want to take you to Chinatown where the, uh, the, the, the Toronto Police, pardon me, had a news conference earlier this morning, uh, something called Project Blue Hog. Who comes up with these names? Project Blue. It's the same person that comes up with the lipstick color names. I'm convinced about it. But this is not the first time that they've come up with this thing called Project Blue Hawk. It's been a number of different uh, neighborhoods. This one in Kensington Market and in Chinatown, it's going to focus on deterring crime, theft, shoplifting, panhandling, public intoxication. Premier Doug Ford allowing us to drink at 9 a.m. I'm sure that's got nothing to do with it. It has not come into place yet. Drugs and other issues in the area. Now, these are very serious issues. I don't mean to make light of it. But this uh, is now Inspector Matt Moyer talking about, and I think that this really is going to ring true to a lot of people, is that, you know, you can just, you can hand out all the tickets and put as many cops on the corner as you want, but it's not going to help. Yes, folks, you can write a million tickets. You can arrest lots of people. But if people in Chinatown aren't feeling safe, and if they're not feeling they have that opportunity to communicate openly and freely with the police, then we failed. And our, this is a great opportunity today for us to renew our commitment, as we do each and every year, with our partners at 14 Division. That is, uh, I believe that was Inspector Matt Moyer of the Toronto Police talking about Project Blue Hog.
which launched launched today. We do a little something on the radio program quite, a, quite regularly. We call it Rip and Read. And what I do here, you see, is I just go to our wire services that come right in that we pay for uh, at uh, Global News. And I take these pieces of news and I just rip them right off. And I barely read them. I barely even look at them. So this, uh, and I don't know if you know this, but my real job is to be an anchor man. So this, this is me reading news cold. Essentially what this is, this is the newsman version of a rap battle is what this is. So I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like Eminem in 8 Mile right now. So I've, there's already vomit on my sweater. It's mom's spaghetti. It's right there. So can I get a fat beat? Ripping and reading. Athens, Greece. Greek officials say four people have been lightly injured after lightning struck the Acropolis in Athens during a rainstorm. A culture ministry official told the Associated Press there was no initial indication of damage to the monuments on the ancient citadel. The ministry official said uh, that the fire brigade of four people, two site guards and two visitors, uh, none of them were seriously injured. I am just going to suggest stay away from any kind of historic building for the next couple of days because that's two. And you know it travels in threes to Bulgaria. Bulgarian border police have discovered and seized more than 200 kilograms of cocaine in waters near the country's black coast. The district prosecutor's office said Wednesday a third cocaine haul in a week A 16-kilo bag of the drug was found attached to a life vest floating in the sea. The office is investigating whether the drugs are of the same quality as the 195 kilos of high-grade cocaine also picked up last week. Let's move on to Stamford, Connecticut, where police say 10 students at a Connecticut high school face charges after a food fight that turned into a riot ended with injuries to a teacher and a school resource officer. Stanford police said Tuesday that the West Hill High School students, aging 15 to 17 years of age, are charged with first-degree rioting, breach of peace, reckless endangerment, and assault on a police officer. School officials say Friday's food fight, food fight, had been in the planning for days and developed in a courtyard next to the cafeteria. Police say the resource officer was struck in the head by a full soda. Might as well go for a soda. Uh, And the teacher was trampled by a mass of students. Uh, The superintendent calls it ugly and disappointing. New York, I promise this one, electric scooters are overtaking station-based bicycles as the most popular form of shared transportation outside transit and cars. Riders took 38.5 million trips on shared electric scooters in 2018. That eclipsed 36.5 million trips riders took on shared docked bicycles. You know, like we have that those things here. You know, they used to call them Bixies. They call them. I don't even know what they call them anymore. But anyway, so what they're saying here is in New York that no scooters are, are the way to go. These electric scooters. Scooter companies are facing challenges from every direction, including vandalism, theft, rider injuries, intense competition and aggressive regulations in cities across the United States. You may have heard that there is a company trying to do this in Toronto. It has not yet actually rolled out. We don't have any electric scooters yet, but could be coming. The scooter industry persisting, venture capitalists, ride-hailing companies, and traditional auto manufacturers continue to pour millions of dollars into those fledgling companies, and companies are jockeying for strategic position right now. Again, electric scooters overtaking 
those shared bikes. They're really popular in L.A. too. That is Rebecca. Hi there, Betty. Thank you, Rebecca. See, this is when in the rap battle, you see this is this is like Rebecca's my hype man. Yeah. She's just wearing a giant clock right now. Around the, the <laughs> He's studio. my flavor flay. Yeah. Yo, yeah. yo. Are you my Professor Griff? What are you? No, oh don't, my God, that's don't, harsh. That is, that is wrong. You are a tolerant man. I'm sure you are. Nothing. I'm your bomb squad. Okay. To Utah, where a police standoff with an armed suspect at a fast food restaurant in Utah is ended with the man taken into custody. Officers were called to the Burger King in the town of Magna late Tuesday night about a man barricaded in the bathroom. According to broadcast reports, shots were fired. This is about 22 kilometers from Salt Lake City. The person's name has not been released. Police have not provided additional details. Sir, this is a Burger King. In Ohio, police say an unruly customer, we got a restaurant theme going here, at a restaurant pulled an iguana from underneath his shirt, swung it around, and threw it at the manager. Painesville police were called to the Perkins restaurant around noon Tuesday. Police say they apprehended the suspect a few blocks away in the city, roughly 30 or four, pardon me, 48 kilometers. See, I screwed that up. See, that would be a, see, I'd be get tossed out of the rap battle right there. 48 kilometers northeast of Cleveland. Authorities did not say what provoked the attack. Police say the lizard, who they named Copper, was taken to the Humane Society to be checked out by a veterinarian. Cambridge, Massachusetts. This is our final rip and read. We're taking it home. We're taking it to the hoop strong. Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard, are you enjoying this? I'm a fun guy. You are indeed. 37 points, buddy. Cambridge, Massachusetts. Do you have a goat roast? How do you have a goat roast without a goat? That is a question some Harvard University students will have to figure out now that a residency hall is ending its tradition of skinning and barbecuing a goat in the courtyard. The Harvard Crimson student paper reports faculty deans at Dunster House announced last week that the annual goat roast is ending. The email cites health concerns as a reason and says some students were uncomfortable with the idea of skinning and cooking a goat. <laughs> Can't imagine why. The annual event began in the 1980s is a spin-off of a primitive survival course that's taught at the school. I feel bad for the goat. It makes me upset. Alan, Alan, please stop crying. I, I'm not that upset about it. Is there a tofu version of a goat? No, I don't. Goaturfy, maybe? Go, a goaturfy? Go go go, I'll look into it. <laughs> you know, I, I once roasted a goat, and I couldn't get the smell of cumin out of the grapes, the grapes for... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a best in show line. I just stole that. I just totally stole that from best in show. You're allowed to steal that. Thank line. you. I'm a thief. That is, I am a thief on this program. Uh, Doug Ford. Uh, well. Thank you, uh, and Jason Kenny. Thank you again for being Help here. Is on the way. Thank you so much, and you can join me tonight on Global News on the old tubage, beginning at five thirty. Check out how bad my hair is. Maybe write something in. And then at six o'clock, you can listen if it's if the hair is just. And here's the thing: is each and every day you can watch and see how my face becomes more suitable for radio and less suitable for TV every day. Oh, I'm back God. again tomorrow.